Good evening, everybody. How are you tonight on this good Friday? I just want to welcome you and thank you for coming. I know we turn our attention many times in the church where you're very focused on Easter and the celebration and the excitement that comes on Easter Sunday, and we will do that, and we will do that well as a church. But I'm so glad that you took time tonight to slow down, to pause, to reflect, and to think about Good Friday. Because when we think about the high of Easter, we can't fully appreciate it, we can't fully understand that victory unless we walk through the depths of Good Friday. And so tonight, what we want to do is we want to create an environment where you can enter the story, where you can experience and try to just put yourself in that place. Maybe put yourself in the position of some of the main characters in the story and see maybe how you would have responded and how you would take those events in from that first Easter. And so tonight we're going to have a time to hear the story through scripture. We're going to read many scriptures through Matthew and just listen to that story and hear those words. Then we're going to have opportunity for you to, to pray, to take communion, to respond in different ways. And then we're going to end our evening by making our way to the outside and finishing there. And so there'll be many different ways for you to respond and to, again, enter into that story. And so I just ask you to be open, to be receptive, to hear what God is saying to you tonight. Let's pray and then we'll begin entering into that story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard for us to fathom when we think about that first Friday that now we call it good only because, God, we know what it meant and what it means for us today. And yet, tonight, God, as we walk through the pages of history, through the story, God, may we truly experience your presence. May we sense your tremendous love and sacrifice for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your great sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We begin our story tonight in the book of Matthew, and the story as Matthew tells it. It begins like this. We think about this past week, and we began in, on Palm Sunday. Jesus entering into Jerusalem, knowing what was before him. And he would teach during those days, but as he approached these final moments, Matthew tells us this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. It's a haunting question that Jesus, Judas asked, isn't it? How much will you pay me to betray Jesus? Tonight, as you came in, you were each given a replica old coin. And tonight, I want you to have that out. I, I, we, we would love for you just to take that and to keep it in your hand throughout tonight. And as you look at that coin and we think about how the story begins with Judas, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus? The question before us tonight is, what is life worth? What is relationship worth? And as we look at this coin, asking ourselves, 
What is my relationship to Jesus worth? What am I willing to maybe trade that in for? How have I maybe traded that in? And tonight, just reflect on that, your relationship and the cost and the price that was paid for you. As we transition the story um, to the Last Supper, the ushers are gonna begin distributing the communion elements. And we just ask that you hold on to those as we'll take them together. If you'd like to follow along, we're in Matthew 26, verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? You see, the Israelites would travel each year to Jerusalem to celebrate and remember the Passover. This holiday of Passover commemorates the Exodus from Egypt when God's people were kept in captivity. And after a series of 10 plagues, they were released from their slavery. But it all led, it all came down to that one last plague, the 10th. Jew or not, people could mark their doorway with the blood of the lamb. And that would signify that that, the, that they would pass over their home. Through the symbol of the blood of a lamb, God provided an escape for anyone who participated. The whole story is about freedom and God rescuing us. So where we're at in this story, right here at the Last Supper, thousands of people had entered the city for the Passover. And Jesus was a pretty controversial character at this time as he was performing miracles and um, teaching lots of lessons and the religious leaders were pretty fed up with him. So Jesus decides he wants to gather his disciples together for one last time and through this Passover meal begin to bring new meaning to it and try to explain and attempt to explain the reason he would have to die. Continuing on the story, verse 18. As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12. Here, Jesus and his disciples began going through the Passover meal and going through all of these different symbols that remember their captivity. And as they're enjoying this meal, we see Jesus changes the tone of the evening. Verse 21, while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scripture declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you've said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it. I just think about how confusing that had to have been in that moment. 
Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples why he must die. And he takes the bread, as we have the bread, and he says, this is my body. The symbol up until this point was remembering how quickly they had to escape from Egypt, that they used bread without yeast, and there was no time for the dough to rise. And now Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Like him, he is the source of life that we need. So today, we take the bread and we remember Jesus' body, which was broken for us. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Jesus is revealing in this moment that like in the Passover, he is the lamb. God was using his blood to redeem us. He rescues the world from slavery. Um, he rescues the world from slavery to sin and death. So today we drink from the cup and remember Jesus' blood, which has been poured out for us. those of you that didn't have an opportunity to uh, receive communion, uh, what we're doing is we have a, a, some of our ushers going out there to prepare a few more, and there will be another opportunity um, to participate in that. The story continues. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus went to them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became an anguished and distressed. 
He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and he bowed on his face to the ground and he was praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. Then he turned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink of it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them asleep, for they couldn't even keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying these same things again. You know, as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in great anguish over his approaching physical pain and the separation from the Father and for the death of sins of the world. His struggle was so intense at this time as he was crying out for the Father to take his cup of suffering. Yet Jesus knew he had to surrender it all to the will of the Father. What does it look like for you to surrender your will to the Father? We're going to take a few moments right now and we're going to, to respond. I would like for you to remain in our attitude of reflection and prayer as you move about. We have four stations around the back parameters and up front here. At the cross, write down the name of a person, someone that you're praying for, someone who needs Jesus. The candles in the back corners, light a candle as a symbol that you are keeping watch. The jar along the back wall, take a moment to reflect where you are currently weak. Maybe it's an illness, maybe it's a temptation, a feeling, that you're not good enough, write it down and drop it in the jar. And then the dry erase board over to my right, your left. What words come to mind when you think about what Jesus may have been feeling during his time in the garden?
for those of you that are finishing up at the stations, please don't feel rushed. Take your time. Uh, and as you uh, make your way back to your seats to join everyone, um, I encourage everyone just to, just to take a moment and, and look at that coin that you've been given. As the story moves forward to the cross, we're going to focus on four characters four characters that play vital roles in the events that unfold through the journey of Jesus to the cross. And I believe that the story subtly asks each of these four characters four unique questions. Questions that as Jesus' followers are mirrored back to us. With the disciples at the garden, Jesus looks up and he says, everyone, stand. My betrayer is here. And the disciples watch as in the distance Judas approaches, but he doesn't approach alone. He arrives with a crowd of men who are armed with swords and clubs. And these men were appointed by the religious leaders to capture, to seize Jesus. And they had a prearranged signal Judas told them, the one that I kiss is the one that you're looking for. And so as Judas approaches, he instantly goes to Jesus and he greets him with a kiss and he says, greetings, teacher, rabbi. And at this moment, you can almost imagine the tension. The disciples seeing Jesus with a crowd of men ready to take their leader from them, the anger that they experienced. And as the men go to grab Jesus, fear takes over and instincts. One of the disciples, Peter, pulls out a sword and slashes at one of the men trying to take him, cutting off his ear. And Jesus says, stop, Peter, put the sword down. Don't you realize if I wanted to, I could stop this at any moment. I could call to the Father and He can send angels to protect us. For Judas to come with these men to betray Jesus, the one He's following, Judas. Is anything worth more than your loyalty? And his answer is yes, money. And as they take Jesus, they bring him to the house of Caiaphas, the, the lead priest. And it's late at night, and when they arrive, they have a council of religious leaders for, for a secret trial to try to find some sort of a case to make against Jesus, to condemn him. And so what they do, what Caiaphas does is, is he looks out to the crowd and they try to find anyone who's willing to lie, anyone who's willing to give a false testimony about Jesus. And several come forward and they say, I'll do that. And they make their case trying to come up with any reason possible to condemn him, 
And at this time, they realize the stories don't align. They, they lose their credibility. But then two men come forward and they say to everybody there, this man, Jesus, claims that he will destroy the temple, the house, the dwelling of the God of the universe, and he will raise it again in three days. And Caiaphas, he looks to Jesus and he says, well, what do you have to say? What do you have to say to this? And Jesus stands there and he remains silent. And as frustration builds, Caiaphas finally says, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the living God? And Jesus says, yes, you have said it. And at this moment, their sheer rage, Caiaphas takes his clothes and rips them and he yells out, blasphemy. This man is guilty. He deserves to die. For this religious leader, Caiaphas, the lead priest, to convene an assembly, a secret trial, late into the night where few people would be present to manipulate the testimonies and get people to lie. Caiaphas, is anything worth more than your integrity? Yes. Power, authority. Right after they seized him from the garden, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, the one that said, I'll be by your side, sneaks in to see how things would unfold, how things are going to happen. And he finds his way to the back of the crowd. Now, Peter knows a crowd. He's been with Jesus several times when large numbers of people come and they form around him to hear his teachings, to see his miracles, to experience who he was. Some come to worship him. But this crowd on this night is different. These people aren't here to celebrate Jesus. They want to condemn him. They want to see him pay for the blasphemy they feel he's committed. So a woman standing next to Peter says to him, aren't, aren't you one of this man's disciples? Haven't I seen you with him? And the fear takes over Peter and he says, no, that's not me. I don't know. I don't know that man. And then as this unfolds, more faces in the crowd turn behind them to what's happening. And a few others recognize Peter and they say, yes, you're, you're Peter. You're one of his disciples. I've seen you with him. And now realizing what's happening, the danger that he's in. And with more intensity, he starts shouting out, no, I don't even know that man. And he starts to filter through the crowd and make his way out because he can sense the danger that he's in and he stopped once more. And again, accused of being one of Jesus' disciples. You know this man. 
I've seen you with him in the market. You were there. And he shouts out for everyone to hear a curse, a curse be on me if I've ever spoken to that man. Peter, is anything worth more than your commitment? Yes, safety. Eventually, they bring Jesus to Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And the reason they do this is because the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, but it's against the law for, for them to do so, to commit capital punishment. So they bring him to the Romans, who do so all the time to demonstrate their authority. And when Jesus is brought before Pilate, Pilate asks him, why do these people hate you? What is it that you've done? What do you say to the charges against you? And before Pilate, Jesus stood there and he remained silent. So Pilate goes out to the crowd. And he says, what do you want me to do with this man? And they say, we want you to crucify him. Now Pilate understands the struggle of power between the religious leaders and this movement that's taking place. And he sees the envy of the Jewish leaders. And he knows that Jesus is innocent. How can he condemn an innocent man to death? So he says, I have two prisoners, Jesus and Barabbas. Barabbas is a notorious criminal. And he feels that he's solved this issue. He says, I will release one of them to you thinking there's no way the crowd would want this criminal back in their midst. Surely they'll say Jesus and he will be set free and we can end this whole mess. And the religious leaders filter through the crowds. And again, they manipulate and they tell them, say Jesus, say that you want him condemned, that we'll take Barabbas. We don't want Jesus released. That's exactly what they do. Pilate stands before them. Which one do you want? We want Barabbas. Bring him back. What should I do with Jesus? Kill him. Crucify him. And this distresses Pilate. How can I, how can I do this to a man who's clearly innocent? But he sees the aggression of the crowd before him. It's a mob. And his fear is a riot, a revolution against their authority. How can they handle this? So he says, all right, I will kill him. We will condemn him to death. We will beat him. Pilate, is anything worth more than your civil duty? Yes. Appeasing the people. So as Jesus is sent out, the soldiers take him and they mock him. 
they use this phrase, the king of the Jews, as a statement against him. Because what king is treated like this? The king is supposed to have power and authority, that's supposed to be honored and glorified before their people. Surely this is no king. So they craft a crown of thorns and they place it on his head. And they take, they take a cloth, a robe, and they, they drape it over him. And they take a reed stick and they give it to him in his hand as a scepter. And they bow down to him. They say, we worship you, king of the Jews. The irony of this is that this moment truly is the coronation of a king. It establishes his reign, but not through coercive power or dominance or control. It establishes his reign through self-sacrificial love. I believe that the gospel, the story of the good news, the hope of God, hinges on a theme that we see throughout this journey to the cross. That when Jesus is accused time and time again, he says nothing. Why is that significant? Because Jesus' life was not taken from him. It was given by him. At any moment, he could have responded. He could have defended. But he chose not to. Jesus is anything worth more than saving these people. These people who have betrayed you, these, these people who have sinned against you, these people who have spat in your face, who have hit you, who curse you, is anything worth more than saving them? No. Jesus' journey to the cross is a response to that question. Nothing is worth more. I would give everything to save these people. Why? Why would you do that? Look at them. They have sinned against you, against God. They are unworthy. They don't deserve it. Why would you do this? Because they are mine. And I love them. And I will show them just how much. Jesus willingly gives his life as a sacrifice, as a demonstration of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And God did not give his son to condemn the world, no, no, but to save the world, to reclaim his creation, to redeem his people, to restore their hope. 
Once more, look at that coin that you've been given. And just stare at it for a moment. And thinking through the decisions that were made that led to Jesus headed to the cross. Ask yourself those same questions. Those questions that are asked of Judas, of Caiaphas, of Peter, and of Pilate. Because those are our questions. What is your allegiance worth to this man who will offer his life to show you that he loves you? In just a moment, we're going to transition out of this space outside to the lawn. And we're going to process through that question together as a church, as a family, as a community of people united under one cause, the hope, the truth of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story, the journey that we read about in Scripture. And that it is circulated through time, through cultures, through generations, through languages and ethnicities to communicate your truth. And we are here today to acknowledge that truth and the weight that it has in our own lives. That we too turn from you. We too betray you. We too seek safety and security at your expense. And all the while, you still love us. And you still make that decision for us on our behalf. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd ask you all to stand and together we will walk out to the lawn through this door.